Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Epic Classroom Podcast. My name is Trevor Muir and I've been a middle and high school teacher as well as a teacher of future and current teachers and I love a good story. And I love to explore ways to help students live out great stories and for educators to thrive in their own. And that's what we talk about on this podcast. Whatever you teach or however you serve in schools, how can you lead a more impactful, dynamic, meaningful, and epic classroom. All right, friends, this is a really special, special, special episode for me and hopefully for you too, because I am sitting with one of my great mentors, one of my friends, one of the people that uh, I just look at as a teacher and I just want to be more like her every single time I see her teach. Her name is Sherry Steelman. She just finished her 50th year in the classroom somehow she started teaching when she was 10 years old and she's like the doogie hauser of teachers but sherry i before i let you speak i just got to tell you you know i well, i'll tell everybody else first i was a student teacher in sherry's classroom so when i was going through college um i was sitting there in one of my classes and my professor brought in a classroom teacher to talk to us about something and i couldn't tell you what it was about uh but i saw you there and and you came and worked with our class of like 11 students and it was awesome and it was engaging that's all I really can remember by it um, and then when it came time to start student teaching that next semester I went to that professor and I said is there any way <laughs> you could get me placed in Mrs. Steelman's classroom and Julia Reynolds said I will find out and so she put in some phone calls and emails and it turned out I got to start my teaching career in your high school senior English class and from there it's all history and I've told lots and lots of stories about you and what you've done to shape my career but also my life I mean you're a parent of six children you know you you've you've lived this epic life and you're still living it and you just finished your 50th year as a classroom teacher but you've also written a book which we'll talk about you've you've traveled the country you've done so many different things and yet you are still so fired up about teaching and education and really when I talk to you about any of this you're still really fired up about students and helping them learn and grow and uh, you know we just spent the day together before we started recording this podcast um, at uh, your high school and and I got to watch you teach some of your classes or uh, teach a friend's class you were invited to come in and and work with their students today and it, just getting to sit back and watch that it just brought me back to when I was a student teacher in your class but it also brought me back to so many times in my own classrooms where I've employed what I've learned from you and then I get to sit there and watch you do it today like you were teaching and and there was an interruption on the announcements which every teacher ever knows exactly what is like and I was like oh boy how's she gonna recover from that because she was mid-sentence on a really important point and then all of a sudden all of the girls basketball team was called down to the <laughs> to the gym and I'm like oh what is she gonna do and you didn't even blink you didn't you didn't address it you just kept going and I'm like oh I remember remember learning that trick from you a long time ago and I remember using that trick and then I get to see it again and I just all of that makes me so excited to to talk to you right now and get a lot of people to be introduced to you because um, you've really and I mean this so sincerely you've had such a deep impact on my life and as my career and path as an educator and you still have that impact so 
That's why I'm so excited for the very first guest I've ever had on this podcast to be you. And uh, I just want to talk to you about how in the world you made it through 50 years of teaching and everything else. So, Sherry, welcome to the podcast. Oh, my gosh. All these <laughs> stories. It just brings me back to, and I do, oh, I remember so clearly you being in my classroom when we had those green swivel chairs, those yes. node chairs, and both of us tag teaming with each other and... I just love having student teachers and teacher mm. aides because I learn so much and that's what keeps me going and keeps me fresh. But yeah, yeah, you've always talked about like loving to have student teachers and trying to get other teachers to have student teachers. Like what's at the heart of that for you? I think it's I love being with young people and I guess that's what it is and I I love learning. So you put those two together because I figure you were fresh out of college, you know, you were right out of the chute, right? And um, yet you come into my classroom and you talk about the books you've read and the students you've worked with up to that point and the things that you've tried. And I just think it's a great opportunity for students, student teachers to be in a classroom where they can feel safe to make mistakes and try out new things and see if it works. Because we all know that one lesson will work with one class, but maybe not another. Or maybe we think this is the best <laughs> lesson ever. And then you get and it's like, doom, 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 doom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it didn't work. But they don't teach you that in college. Because how do you teach that? Like, how can a professor teach you how to pivot and how to, how to do these things that are nuanced and, and not right like I mean you can only learn it by watching somebody else do it or having somebody gently correct or nudge or suggest and which are all things that you did with me but like when I started student teaching with you I was a nervous wreck I didn't know how to conduct a classroom I remember the first time you handed me the reins and you said all right you teach class today I'm like, I'm like all right here we go and I go up there and, and I think I might have shared this story before but I go up there and I'm like all right everybody let's get going and all of these seniors in high school who are like eight months away from freedom they don't even look up at me because I'm only like four years older than them I'm like all right everybody clapping my hands let's get going and a couple like of the good A students maybe turn and be quiet but everybody else keeps going I'm like guys let's get going I'm raising my voice and I've got a loud voice and all of a sudden you're like like, can I help you out, Mr. Muir? I'm like, please. <laughs> and you walk up there and you and you just stand there and you look at them. And I was like, what is she going to do? Aren't you going to say something? Like my teachers would have said, I'll wait. But, you know, you just stood there and stared at them. And all of a sudden the front row sees you and they're like, shh, shh. And they start turning around to the kids behind them. They're like, shh. And all of a sudden, in like four seconds, the room is silent. And you said, it's all you, Mr. Muir. And I'm like, you can't teach that in college. I right? know, but here's the other thing. You can't tell a student teacher, oh, try this or try this. Or it's okay to make mistakes. Go ahead. If you are perceived as a person who doesn't make any, you have to show your true self up there and mm. know that you're making mistakes right and left. And you just have to keep moving forward. And I think even though the kids don't seem to mind, I mean, they, you seem more human to them. And I remember apologizing to a teacher once for something that I, one of the many things that I had dropped the ball on or done something. And she said, oh, so you're human, huh? And I just felt so good about that, right? Because, yeah, we all are. But I think if they see you making mistakes and knowing that it's not the end of the world, yeah. And you'll just move forward, and I think even the students appreciate it. 
And I think it's a really common sentiment among teachers to want to be perfect all the time, oh, to just yeah. do it right. Mm -hmm. And and there's good reason for why people, I mean, there, there's an, at least an explanation for why a lot of teachers feel that way. When teacher evaluations and high stakes testing and college admissions and, and parents who demand the best for their kids, like, oh yeah, there is a lot of voices that makes you think like, oh, you've got to be perfect in this work. Right, but perfect at what? So here you go, right? Because I find that you know, later on, kids may come back and say hi to you, but they they really remember the times when you were just talking or just enjoying a moment together. Mm -hmm. Or they'll say, oh, I remember all your Coffeehouse Fridays. They don't remember the analysis skills <laughs> I taught them. They don't care about that. But they just remember those fun times and the times when you really had this great talk or this great discussion, and it just... You know, those, those are the moments when, and you don't even have to be perfect then either. You really just need to be you. So what's the point of the analysis days then? Or what's the point of teaching how to structure an essay? Or, you know, today you talked about in that class, you know, how to really expand on your reasoning and your essays for AP. Well, what's the point of teaching that if that's not right. what we remember decades later? Right, and because those students might have signed up to take the national exam and so those students really need to have that information and those are the skills that need to be taught but not every single minute so they might more remember today when we started the class off and several of the kids got up in front of the class to act out a scene in a book and they were having a great time with it and laughing that's probably what they're going to remember more than okay, don't forget to put the name of the book in the intro. That's right. <laughs> you know? Do you think there's a connection between the fun, memorable side and the way that they engage with the, the need-to-dos? Well, it's almost like if you don't have the relationship and you don't have the fun, there's no way you're going to get to the other. Mm. It's like putting, you, you need to make deposits before you can ever make a withdrawal, right? And yeah. so you keep depositing, depositing, depositing. That's why I learned early on when students ask you, can I, and it's usually go to the bathroom or <laughs> yes. you know, go call my mom or whatever, you always say yes, or at least I always do, but mm. I always follow it with a qualifier. Yes, when, blah, 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 mm -hmm. yes, if blah 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 you know so yes you can absolutely you can but we might need to do something first or you might need to finish something first but deposit 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 yeah, yeah i mean i i think sometimes at least from the outside looking in but i think there's a, d a general sentiment that you know i'd love to be more generous with our time or i'd love to do more fun things or i'd love to invest in kids and get to know their names or do more purposeful projects or whatever it is but i can't i gotta make sure they do well on the tests or i've got to make sure that they 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 move to the next level and they're proficient in this area i've got to make sure they master this material and so therefore i i see the value of all this but i here's the things that i have to do kind of feels like you're saying oh no those other things enhance that deeper learning and the academic They do, content. and I think they lead into it, too, because I think students go to a class expecting something. Mm -hmm. and, and I know that they're willing to do the hard work if it's meaningful. 
And I think making it meaningful is part of that whole process of being you and mm-hmm. having fun once in a while. And, and so they know that they can trust yeah. you and what you're about to give them so that when you need to have those lessons, I think there's something to be said for something that's hard that you've learned and how good you feel about yourself when even though it was hard, yep. you learned it. Yes. Might have taken more time or less time. It doesn't matter. You might have had fun along the way, but you did it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's saying we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're still going to do hard work. Sometimes it's tedious. Sometimes it's boring. Sometimes it's going to make you want to rip your hair out. <laughs> yeah. But, right? And it depends, too, on what they're into. Uh-huh. They might not be into you know, the higher level literature. Yep. Um, I know today one girl was reading Jane Eyre and I thought, oh, that's awesome. Uh-huh. I love that book. Yes, Brit Lit. But then like, you know, 95% of the rest of the group would not be ready for that and not like it. She seemed to. Mm-hmm. But not everybody is going to go to college to be an English major. That's right. So the skills that you're teaching need to really work. But you want every one of your students to be a lifelong reader. Absolutely. Right. You know, I was an an English major, and I read all of the Bronte sisters, and I've read all that stuff. I don't read it anymore. Right. right? Like, that's not part of my reading habit. I read a lot of other things. Um, And so I appreciate that I read it. But what I really appreciate is, you know, Mrs. Schwanier letting me read The Giver in class, or, Mm -hmm. you know, Mr. Baker letting me read The Stand, and and some of these books that really hooked me in. And, And we, maybe we'll come back and talk about just choice reading some other time, because... That's a whole other conversation, oh, right? It is, but it, it fits back to this theme. You know, it, for those who don't know Sherry's class, she, she she's had over a thousand books in her classroom for over a decade where students, you don't have to read To Kill a Mockingbird. If we're studying this theme, find a book that has that theme or find that theme within a book that you're already reading because I want you to love reading before anything else, but that's going to hook you into the bigger message of what we're teaching in here. But to me, it's like, oh, here's just another way of helping students live a life they love in school and in the process become more proficient at reading and writing and identifying themes and all the other things that are being assessed or that help Mm -hmm. you get into college or do well on the AP exam or whatever it is, but it all connects back first to those students and what they need. Right. And walking into your classroom and just watching their stress level Mm. just they decompress they walk in and they might smell coffee brewing Mm. you know they might be looking around at the twinkle lights and thinking oh which book should i pick for today or whatever and it's as long as they're enjoying themselves you know maybe on fridays they'll see the donut boxes lining the walls or whatever and Hey, it's just the place to be. And what I think is fun is there's a method to your madness. Again, somebody might be like, oh, she just likes to have donuts for the kids. Or, oh, or, oh she likes to brew coffee and it just so happens kids like it. And it's like, well, no, those might be partially true. <laughs> yeah. You do love your hazelnut coffee. <laughs> But you also know hazelnut coffee just wafts into the hallway and kids start wondering what's going on in that class. How do I get in there? And like the senses, right? And even the chairs moving around so those kids who are fidgety can, you know, actually lean back in their chair or move around a little bit, swivel here and there. It's all about movement sometimes for Mm. some kids. So I think that's important too, but. So you just finished 50 years, your 50th year 
as a full-time teacher? So many questions around that. Uh, One, has anything changed in 50 years in education? Well, uh, of course, all the peripherals have changed. Uh You know, like I can remember even my first year that, you know, taking attendance and filling out all those report cards by hand, just Mm. stacks and stacks and stacks, all that kind of thing, you know, pre-computers of any kind. Um, That was different, making our own copies, using the old mineograph turn turny thing don't even know what that is but i'll take your word for it oh my gosh you could smell and maybe even get high on some (laughs) i'm telling you what but um so you've seen technology change oh light speed light speed even in the last 10 years Mm. i mean i even have walked into audrey's classroom today and she's got a new smart board and you know there's a lot of learning around that now oh and kids were choice reading on their phones. Yes, absolutely. Whereas I know 10 years ago would have been like no phones in the classroom. It's like, well, this kid's got a graphic right. novel pulled up on it. Right. And they were <laughs> showing me and and even audiobooks became huge during the pandemic, mm. I think, because mm-hmm. people started listening and and reading physical books yep. as well, but yeah, so that things have changed that way, but kids I mean Maybe a little bit because of the insistence on uh, their own technology Mm. and how they communicate. That might be a little bit different. But inside, it's they're the same. Isn't that interesting? They just are. Mm -hmm. They're fun and they're funny, um, which is why I just love it. But you know, well then, like, has that made you love it for this whole time that you've been a teacher? I mean, is that one? Because you. You see the average lifespan of a teacher, and it very rarely goes this long, right? Like, you, I, mean, I think the average uh, <clears throat> teaching, I think, five years is before a teacher says, all right, I'm moving on to consulting, or I'm going to move right. on to administration, or I'm out of and this completely. Wonderful. And, and, and then you've got other teachers who do it right up until retirement age, which is fine, too. Yeah. But it's also like, all right, hit 30 years, I'm... 60 by I'm done right and yet you just keep going and going and going I had my toe into literacy consulting and uh, reading Um, so I was working with teachers Mm -hmm. one couple years I did all the professional development um, for before and after school uh, planned it all around uh, reading and writing in the curriculum Mm -hmm. Um, but then eventually I just I just knew my place was I took my toe out of that uh-huh. and went back in full time in the so classroom. what is it then what, what is it that kept you that made you want to go back and then just do it for so long I think a lot of things entered into it first and foremost I wanted to be part of the gang mm. which was the teacher group oh interesting I I'm gonna break that down I, I when you know you have even just one little baby toe in consulting or administration or whatever you want to call it all of a sudden you're different you know people are calling you and saying oh i can't come to this meeting or that and you know you i didn't want to be that person and mm-hmm. uh, um and i also think things changed at school where um, our contract changed and we had to in order to go up on the pay scale you had to have <clears throat> not just workshop anymore but graduate hours mm. so i had been doing a lot of workshop i had already had one degree a master's degree in literacy but um then i needed to go back to go back up on the pay scale and um i remember i was having a, 
a bit of a time, I shall call it, with my 16-year-old daughter. And so um, there was a class called um, something about the adolescent, uh, the psychology of adolescent behavior or something. Mm -hmm. And I thought, ding, 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 that's me. So I need to take that. And so I took it, and I just, oh, my gosh, I, I hadn't been in class for so long. I just love this. And then I looked on the schedule, and there was one on poetry. Oh, my gosh, I'll take that one. And then yeah. there was one on the Bronte sisters. Oh, my gosh, I'll take that one. So pretty soon the, I went to the head of the department, and he said, well, you know, I, I don't know what you're doing here. You just need another class, and you'll have another master's. I'm like, oh, okay. You know? So yes. I got into that, and then I started getting into Shakespeare, and then pretty soon I'm you know, working on a PhD, and I think just that continuous learning and changing things at school all the time to make things better and more updated, and it just was so much fun. Yeah, so you just never let it go stale then. That's, or, that's probably it, and I did teach different classes, so mm -hmm. I wasn't always teaching AP. I mean, I think I've taught almost everything in the department, but so always creating new classes or content. So do you, if, if a teacher who's like comes to you and says, I've been teaching fourth grade for 10 years, I'm just kind of getting bored of my job or I'm not sure I can keep doing this. What would be your first piece of advice then? Well, what part is boring you? That, that, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. is it, you know. Is Material it, maybe? Yeah. You know. Your, the routine. Your excitement in and a lot of them say right now it's just getting too hard. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's it's often how the lens that they're viewing it from um, because the lens that we used before probably isn't working anymore. Oh, interesting. What do you mean? Well, you know, now we're looking at it through a, a pandemic lens, mm. and I can't even quite say post-pandemic. I guess it is a little There's bit. There's wood in here that we can knock. Right, right. But... Um, <clears throat> so that makes it different, and students are different. For example, high school students, um, a lot of them, when they were home, got jobs. Mm. And so they were working, and then they, you know, they might have taken some online portions of their classes, but that became secondary, mm -hmm. whereas before, getting to school and outside activities and all the sports and music and theater, that was all primary. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, they come back, and they can't do those extra things. Yep. They're filling their time with work or outside activities of some sort. Mm. Some students were learning to play the guitar or just trying new things. But when they came back, they were different. Mm -hmm. They viewed their education differently. And it might not have been a priority in the same way yep. as it once was. So then what do we do, yeah, right? That's right. Are our expectations exactly the same? Or do we then change um, to meet the needs of these new students with these new ideas? Yeah. Well, and to me, that's like an opportunity, right? Oh, yeah. like, and, and that's not the silver lining it. That's also really hard. <laughs> but right. like, here's an opportunity to change how I teach. Maybe that routine that you did for 10 years and then the pandemic disrupted it. Maybe we don't have to return to that exact way. Maybe it's time to throw out some of those lessons that are feeling stale to you and they're not connecting with students right. who would rather be home learning guitar or working at the golf course or whatever it is. And so like maybe this is an opportunity to shift. That's right. 
And I, even when I was uh, watching TV with my dad during the summer and, you know, all the race riots and that mm -hmm. first summer of 2020 and we were talking and I just got to thinking, how can I go back and teach the same way mm. or the same thing, Yeah, the same books? <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, gee, well, I usually teach Macbeth you know here's a guy who kills the king and then you know goes crazy i don't know is, uh, that, yeah. is that gonna hit it i mean i need to do something different because these students are they're not even gonna want it put the time in that's right mm -hmm. and so then i got to thinking and i had heard about shakespeare's problem plays and they're not always the most widely read. Yep. And so I knew there was one, and it would be mm, just like the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. mm. Then there's another one, race. Another one, alienation. Another one, domestic abuse. Hmm. What if I taught all four at the same time? Oh, I love it. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Like, wait a minute. I know. Haven't been doing this one before. No, yep. Other teachers, when I were talk, I was talking to them about it. And they're, I can't even teach one. What are you talking about? But what if they were all about the same thing? Mm -hmm. And what if the students didn't have to read every word? Hmm. And what if the students found out about the plays in other ways before they even read them? Oh, that's so good. And what if? They use so they use social media mm -hmm. to respond to it, with the only question: Is it still relevant? And I was just going to use the R word because <laughs> that's really what you're talking about. Is what if we we took what we usually do and we just found ways to insistently make it relevant? You know, relevant themes, relevant current events, relevant mediums to share what we're learning. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the text has always been relevant. Right. right? Well, I want to talk about Shakespeare in a moment because that's what your book's about. But 500 years of this material clearly mean there's some relevance that carries throughout the centuries. And so if we ignore that, we're, was we're wasting this opportunity with it. But then when you say like, oh, you know, if, if I'm getting tired of it teaching it this way, or if the way I was teaching it isn't working, it's in this post-COVID, post-social upheaval society we're in, if it's not working, well, then we've got to do it differently. And like you said, if you, the feedback from other teachers was, I can't teach all of that. And it's like, well, maybe the way we were teaching it, but what if we do it different now, right? right? Like what if we found a different different pedagogy for this, a different way of presenting it to students? And, and so that's largely what you did is figure out how can I make it relevant? How, how, did it re how did students respond? Oh my gosh, they loved it. When we asked them at the end of the year, what was your favorite unit? Shakespeare Book Clubs. Mm. Now, does that ever happen? No. But when you think about it, there's so much out there. There's so much good young adult literature now all the social action uh, information that's coming at them through fiction, mm -hmm. it's wonderful. And so a lot of teachers are, are moving toward using more young adult fiction in their classrooms and nonfiction as well. Yeah. Because they are easier to read, especially the new, the new genres where you have um, novels and verse. And that seems to be really fun. Um, Again, you know, Shakespeare, they might think, well, it's been hard and I want to get my kids back into reading again. I'm just not, I'm just not going to do that. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do a poem. 
Maybe yep. I'll do a sonnet uh-huh. <laughs> and call it good, you know, which you could do that too. But, um, well, so let me ask you this. What is the value? And the, the bigger, well, I'll ask the, the micro question and then the bigger question to follow. Micro question, then why are we still teaching Shakespeare? What's the point of being able to read Old English and do that? And then the bigger question is, why do we teach anything super complex that <coughs> might not be, be applicable to the everyday life of a 21st century adult? Why do we still teach it? I think you begin to realize that there's this golden thread that spans our our world hmm. with his and maybe a lot of students don't realize a lot of adults I didn't even realize the the depth of it how much is still happening hmm. it might you might be wearing something different <laughs> yeah but and maybe he says it in a different way but you know it's still happening you mm-hmm. know in measure for measure when Angelo tells Isabella, if you sleep with me, I'll let your brother go free out of prison. Uh huh. Okay. Well, manipulation, misogyny. Yeah. Do we see any of that in Washington D.C. or in Hollywood? I wonder. Uh huh. That's right. (laughs) You know, and when this black man where marries a white woman, and then this supposed friend lies to him and says she's sleeping with someone else. And he gets so jealous that it brings him to murder. Hmm. I wonder. Yeah. I mean, things about race, but then again, Merchant of Venice and this feeling of alienation and religion and uh, what happens when you marry someone who's not of your religion. Yep. And what does that do? What does jealousy do in a domestic situation yep. when you are so frustrated anyway and suspicious anyway um there there's a lot of similarity but what i think the students loved was tying it to social media Hmm. because we ended up doing a remix multimedia presentation where they brought in music and twitter and facebook and instagram and um tiktok i mean they just did they had so much fun because they could do what they could respond to the play in any way they wanted yeah and you're saying to them like hey school isn't this thing that happens outside of your life no you get to bring your life here too right and by the way they were teaching me a thing or two yeah because i it's not like i knew how to do all this stuff but Yep. They taught me. Well, I mean, and you've always, I mean, I, I wonder if this connects to why you have been a teacher for so long is because you're just constantly wanting to learn from other people. I mean, I remember as I'm a student teacher, green as a, a brand new leaf. That's the worst simile I could think of on the spot, <laughs> but I was just brand new. And maybe the witch from wicked or something. Yeah, there you go. There we go. Green is the witch from wicked, but whatever it was, I remember you would like, we, I would like teach a lesson in your class under your supervision. And afterwards we would always sit down and debrief and we'd talk about like, Oh yeah, here's some things that you can work on. But you'd also be like, Oh, I love the way you taught how to write similes which hasn't been evidence in our the last two minutes of our conversation. <laughs> but you, I, I love the way that you teach imagery and poetry. How, I, I, I want to start doing that. I'm like, 
you start doing that. You've been teaching for 35 years at this point or whatever it was. Like, why in the world, what in the world do I have to offer you? But you were like, no, I genuinely want to learn how to do this. I mean, and, and then since I've started teaching, you've gotten your PhD. I should have introduced you that way, Dr. Sherry Steelman. Like, you've gotten your PhD, so you can, I mean, which I'm guessing was a little bit of effort to, to write and learn and read and read. And then you've just written this book, which we'll talk about in just a moment. You, you keep wanting to learn more new things over and over. I went and visited your classroom last year and you had a um, brand new teacher who you were working alongside and you just couldn't stop talking about what you were learning from her. Oh, I know. What, what, what do you think this, this spirit of always wanting to keep learning does for you and your wellness and your, your joy in your work? Like, what do you, what do you think that the connection is between you having 50 successful years in the classroom and, and never not being a student? Well, and I think, um, of course, doing my PhD, I was under the erroneous impression that it was going to be sort of like a big book club, but it wasn't. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> it wasn't at all. But um, I just, I think I woke up every morning thinking, oh, I could talk about this in class. It just, it just seems so much fun to, to try new things. And also, I guess, you know, realizing, too, that if it doesn't work, just try something else mm -hmm. you know and um maybe maybe you start with this insatiable quest for learning but maybe maybe too it just it just depends on where you are in life mm. not everybody can read the great gatsby or to kill a mockingbird when they're young but maybe when they're in 50s it will have a whole new mm. meaning to you and so i think everybody starts at a different time mm -hmm. and then suddenly it just clicks. Yeah. In fact, at that 50th year, I knew it was time, but I I didn't really think I was ready. Yep. But it was time. Yeah. And yet, time. you're still working. You're still yeah. writing. You're still, you know, working with other teams. I mean, like, so it, you're continuing to do what I just said. You're continuing to learn and grow, and I wonder if that ever stops. I don't know. I hope not. You know, how old is you as your dad? 101 101 years old did he ever did he have the same spirit of wanting to just learn and yes he did uh -huh. uh, but not in the same way mm -hmm. um, he was a television sales and repairman back when tvs were like those big tube things mm -hmm. and yep. he would drive around from house to house to fix them yep it was crazy but um he loved listening to all of us kids talk about our jobs mm -hmm. and just, well, what did you do next? Well, then what happened? You know, yeah. he just really was interested in, in all the in new things. Yeah. And that rubs off on you. Right? I guess it does, or, yeah. Or, or vice versa. I don't know. I've, I've got a six and eight year old at home and I just love watching the way they learn. Mm -hmm. And they teach me more than any of my own experiences. Like I, I learned so much from them and it's like, man, there's just such an opportunity to grow. That's why I love the idea of story and the fact that we are living out stories, right? right. With conflict and mentors and guides along the way. And, and it's just this never ending growth as we go through the unknown and, and learn new mm -hmm. things and grow. And it's like, man, if we can have that mindset, if we can see our lives in that way, we can see our careers in that way. It's like, well, yeah, that's how you thrive in it. So how, Trevor, can we somehow move this idea of quest for learning and trying new things to the new generation of teachers 
so that mm-hmm. when they come to the classroom, you know, they'll stay. Yeah. And they'll they'll be okay. Yep. Um, and part of it too might be work life balance. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I th- yeah, I think there's a lot to it, the work-life balance. Um, I think that's the million-dollar question. I think if somebody could answer that, they would make a whole lot of money right now. Hmm. But I, I would venture to guess that part of it has to be reframing what your work actually is. You know? Yes. You know, when I'm with teachers, I always there's always a part of my workshop where I always ask, hey, raise your hand, and I'm talking to a big group of teachers, raise your hand if you are a really good student in school. Like you're that 4.0 GPA. Mm-hmm. 90 to 95% of people put their hands up. Most teachers, this is just, this is unscientific data. This is just my observations from a lot of places. Most teachers were good in school. And so they're like, all right, here's something that I was successful in. I bet I can go help other people find success there too. It's a good thing. Um, and, and, and then there's, there's the smaller group of people like me who was not good in school and skated by with C's and cheating and, and, and all the things that a lot of students do that I had different motivations for becoming a teacher, but a lot of teachers were good in school. And so they keep you know, they stay there and they help other students find ways to do that. And yet the ways that work for them might not work for their students, right? Right. You know, some students need something different than that. And, and I think if you're, if you go into teaching, correct me if I'm wrong, if you go into teaching thinking, I'm just going to take the best practices of what worked for me and employ them with my students, it'll all be good. And then, but like you said, no, it's, Times change, technologies change, students' needs change, societies change. It's not going to work the same way. And don't you think that your students loved hearing about the fact that you weren't the best student? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't Mm -hmm. a reader Mm -hmm. when I was younger. No. Huh? I never even really liked Shakespeare (laughs) (laughs) until much later. But so I don't know. There's a time, but just getting kids ready for that moment that's right and so maybe like part of it is for young teachers teachers who are on the fence about all of this to know like hey be vulnerable be you like you actually don't have to put on this mask every day because that's tiring that mask is real heavy it does when I got to go into school and I've got to make my students think that I'm this this guy who's got it all together and look at me and I, and mm-hmm. here's how it works and don't disrupt that flow. And it's all good when in reality, no, you don't, you're human. Right. But it's like, man, if, if you could be the teacher who is human and is open about it mm-hmm. and, and students know it and therefore respond with their own vulnerability. And now the classroom isn't just a place where, Hey, I'm trying to get you the grade you need so you can move to the next level mm-hmm. or, 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 Hey, I'm preparing you for some hypothetical future and we don't know what it looks like, but that's what we're doing. It's all about the future. Instead, if it can be reframed, like, Oh no, this is your childhood now. And this is my life, my professional life now. Let's find ways to thrive in it and grow in it and mm-hmm. get excited about it. It's like when, when you take on that mindset, I, th- I just think teaching can be such a joy that is not offered in every career, mm-hmm. right? That like is true. You said it's you tipped a- your toe outside of it and yet you came back because mm-hmm. there's something about watching students learn and grow and thrive that you don't get elsewhere. I, I just think there's something unquantifiable and beautiful about it. Yeah. I just, yeah, that's my happy space. Mm. It really is. 
Yeah. And that's why you keep doing some of it. That's right. Yeah. And so you also wrote a book uh, called Walking in Shakespeare's Shoes, Connecting His World and Ours Using Primary Sources. Why did you write a book after all this time of teaching and you're still busy and you're still doing all this? Why did you write this book? I wrote it because I was trying something new and I got really excited about it. It started off with just this fascination with Renaissance plants, of all things. And when I was reading Hamlet and she's giving away flowers, I just, I thought, kids just, it just goes over their heads like, oh, okay. Dave, just kids, it just know. only goes over kids' heads. Yeah, oh, when well, they, yeah. yeah right. Okay, all of us, let's yep. face it. Um, but all these plants, I found out, okay, it's 400 different kinds of plants and herbs in his place. Like, what is going on? Okay, I know he grew up on a farm, but still. And so I started looking up what they meant. And when Ophelia was giving them away, she also made this coronet of flowers for her head. And she put it on this willow tree. And then supposedly she fell and fell into the river. And then when you really look into it, she was making this crown for her head that was made out of all these spring flowers that um, the early modern folks would have known wel wilted very quickly and smelled. Okay. And so she, and they, one of them, the long purples had sexual connotations. So mm. she was hanging it on a willow tree because she was jilted. There was all these different things. And then it just started ma making me wonder if, you know, when I was telling kids about these stories, here we go, stories, right? Yep. Is folklore, plant lore. Um, and um, and I think that just, like, I kept getting more and more that I found, like, um, the duties, the domestical duties of a wife, like, told from the pulpit, you will be subservient. You will do A, B, and C. Yeah. Um, and even this one that was, like, and you will like sex, women, even if you have to pretend you will, you will like sex, right? And that's your job. That's your job. Uh-huh. And these ninth graders are like, what? Yes. <laughs> you know, um, so they had fun with them. But they also realized, okay, this is what people thought. This is what people, at least the ones who could read, were reading. And so... Um, Anyway, it was fun for me to find those and pare them down. Um, even seems the like pictures. It, goes back to, uh, it just seems like it keeps going back to relevance. It's like, oh, there's a whole bunch of ways for kids in the 21st century, people in the 21st century to connect with this very old text. And here's another way of doing it, mm -hmm. right? I mean, does that sum it up a little bit? Like here's a way of, of, of helping people connect to this thing that I know is good. Right. And I know has implications for the world we live in. And I also know is going to be on tests and, and they're gonna learn it anyway. Here's a way to help them connect with it in brand new ways. And also not to just talk about what happened in act one, scene one. Yeah just get away from that and mm -hmm. start talking about what are the things that they were talking about and thinking about and what are we talking and thinking about you know this whole idea of what's our future going to say about us mm. when they watch Hamilton or when they 
start reading our watching YouTube videos and looking right. at memes, are they going to say, oh, you poor souls? Uh-huh, because your ninth graders said that about the Shakespearean uh, people, right. the Victorians. Right, you know, yes. well, they laugh at us and think that we were nuts. Mm-hmm. Or Be- Elizabethan, sorry, going back. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, again, it's all about primary sources and what's going on and and what's that going to be like for our future so good well i can't wait to read it when does it come out i mean i know it's already on amazon for Mm pre-order december i think around the 22nd okay christmas time yeah love it that is so exciting i know you've been working on that for so so long i have and it's gonna be so so good for so many teachers i hope so yeah i hope so and there's a uh even uh uh chapter on sonnets okay which is mostly like what if you just handed your students a journal and a book of sonnets what would happen hmm. <laughs> yes what does happen they read them and they write about them and they uh you know they try to figure out what shakespeare was up to so good so good. Well, I can't wait to read it. And I and I hope anybody who teaches English or Shakespeare or has a teacher friend who does that you check it out. Because um, I'm telling you, friends, Sherry's got something we all want, which is a joy and a passion for teaching. And uh, I, I just don't know what else. I, n- nothing could be more prioritized right now in young and all teachers than helping them find joy in their work. Right. Because it's way too hard to do it if there's no joy right it's way too demanding it's way too tenuous it doesn't pay nearly enough to do it if there's not joy woven into all of it and it seems like um you're you're moving on to a new chapter of your education career whatever that all looks like but it feels like that that first chapter that long beautiful chapter uh had lots and lots of joy in it it did and you and you took a lot of that opportunity to pass that joy on to others myself but countless other teachers and thousands and thousands of students have you ever counted how many students you think you've had no i haven't i think my daughter did i (laughs) i don't i don't even remember what it was but it it was a lot yeah thousands i bet if they see you at the grocery store and they're like hey mrs steelman you're like hey you there you are hey you Well, Sherry, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. This is so fun. And it's fun to record a podcast in person. We're not on Zoom, friends. I know. I'm looking Sherry in the face right now. So it's so fun. Such a joy. Thank you for having me. You bet. All right, check out Sherry's book on Amazon or wherever you get books. It's called Walking in Shakespeare's Shoes Connecting His World and Ours Using Primary Sources. Um, And then you also have a website for the book where they can check out more and the work that you do. Right. And that is shakespeardocuments.com. Info. Awesome. And then also any school leaders out there that want to talk to someone uh, who can instill some joy in your teachers and some really great tried and true processes, Sherry would be awesome for that as well. So get in touch or get in touch with me and I'll pass on her info. But friends, thanks for listening to this episode of the Epic Classroom Podcast. Such a joy to get to share stories and share wisdom from others with you. Um, Thanks for all the good work you do to make learning memorable and engaging and epic for your students. We'll see you next time.